Good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm glad that we can be together in spirit. And by that, I mean when we live in the awareness of divine presence with us and within us, we become aware of the deep interconnection we have with one another. We become aware that the source of our togetherness is not being in the same room, it's being in the same spirit. Well, from our gospel readings this week, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Then Jesus and his companions went to Capernaum. And as soon as the Sabbath began, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. The people were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes and other teachers. Suddenly, a man with an unclean spirit cried out in the synagogue, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked the spirit, Be silent, come out of him. And at this, the unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions and eventually came out with a loud shriek. All the people were amazed and began to ask one another, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And the news about Jesus spread quickly through the whole region of Galilee. Well, this is the first exorcism that Jesus performs in the gospel narrative. This is the first unclean spirit that Jesus confronts in the gospel story. Notice where it happens. It's not in a bar or outside a brothel. It's not in the marketplace or in a pagan temple. It's not in Samaria or near a military Roman outpost. It's in a house of worship. Jesus is breaking down the illusion of religious worshipers like you and I that that unclean spirits and demons are out there in the world. Jesus is revealing that unclean spirits Strongholds, energetic bonds have taken root in our midst. Jesus is instructing us that before we start looking out in the world to cast out unclean spirits, to first look within our own congregations. And deal with the energetic bonds, the strongholds, the unclean spirits that have taken root in our own midst. This is quite a story. So Jesus walks into the synagogue. He begins to preach his message. And 
It's a new message. It's a new teaching. People recognize this. We, we haven't heard this teaching before. It's shocking. It's scandalous, even. But it's not just the content of Jesus' message that is new and kind of unnerving. It's, it's Jesus' teaching style. It's how he preaches and teaches. They say he speaks with authority, unlike the other teachers of the law. Most teachers in Jesus' day, and probably most teachers today, we talk about the, the passage of Scripture and then offer possible suggestions of what it might mean. And we, uh, scholars in Jesus' day, the scribes and the teachers of the law, would, would do a bit of a history lesson, examining different ways that uh, various schools of thoughts and, and rabbis had interpreted this Scripture passage throughout history. Jesus doesn't teach like that. He, he speaks directly to people's hearts and, and people's inner beings. Jesus addresses true self. Jesus speaks with authority, which means he, he speaks with an expectation. There's a demand that Jesus puts on the lives of his listeners. Jesus' primary message he keeps coming back to is, you need to change. You need to change the way you think. You need to change the way you see and interact with reality so that you can enter the kingdom of God. You can live in the spirit-saturated reality where God is in all people and in all things. As Jesus teaches, people feel it. They sense his authority. And they're not used to it. They don't know what to do with it. And it's very similar to us today. We're not used to authoritative teaching. I mean, we, we're very familiar with, with teaching that comes with bravado. <laughs> there are many Christian preachers and teachers that preach with, with, uh, with a certain amount of personal power and influence and, and what I would call bravado. They're, they're definitely convinced that, that they know what everyone else needs to know, and I'm sure I'm guilty of that from time to time. That's not the authority that Jesus speaks with. Jesus speaks with something that, that permeates into the very depths of people's beings. And in this congregation, an unclean spirit reacts to Jesus' authority. And this unclean spirit says, what do you want with us? What are you demanding of us? What, what, what is it you are really up to, Jesus of Nazareth? We know who you are. We know where you come from. The, the implication is, how dare you come in here and, and, and preach this new message, this new teaching, and, and demanding that we change? Expecting that we change how we think, how we do things, how we be congregation together. How dare you, young man, 30 years old, come in speaking with authority to some of us who have been worshiping and serving in this congregation longer than you've been alive. And then the unclean spirit says this, have you come to destroy us? 
Have you come to destroy us with your new teaching, with this, this expectation and demand of divine presence upon our lives? Have you come to destroy our congregation? Have you come to destroy our religion? Have you come to destroy our traditions? Have you come to destroy what we have worked for, what we hold so dear? As I reflect on this response, this reaction of this unclean spirit in this congregation, I believe the unclean spirit is fear. It's fear. And Jesus rebukes the spirit. Be silent. Be quiet. You can't speak that false Reality, that illusion of fear into this present moment, not in my presence. And notice Jesus rebukes the spirit. Jesus doesn't rebuke the person. Jesus doesn't rebuke the congregation. Jesus rebukes the spirit. Jesus doesn't condemn or judge this man. In fact, what he does is he sets this man free. But it isn't pretty. (laughs) The process of setting people free is pretty ugly. It's pretty chaotic. It gets very messy. It causes quite a commotion. As we continue reading, we see that the unclean spirit of fear throws this man into a fit, into convulsions. You can imagine if you were in this worship service how you would respond to what was happening. I mean, people are scared. People are concerned. This doesn't feel like God. Is this what God's truth creates in our congregation? People are shocked. They've never seen this person behave this way before. What's happening to this man? They're concerned for him. It, 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 it looks to them like what Jesus is doing is, is harming him. I'm sure there were a few that were thinking, maybe some even said it, Jesus, you need to stop. What are you doing? Do you not see that you're causing distress to this person? But Jesus doesn't stop. Jesus continues, and Jesus addresses the unclean spirit and says, come out of this man. And eventually, we don't know how long this takes. Is it 30 seconds? Is it 30 minutes? We don't know. But eventually, with a loud shriek, the man is set free. It gets loud. This congregation is thrust into chaos. Most of us don't have the stomach for the kind of work that is required to set people free from the energy, the attachment, the unclean spirits that hold them in bondage. Most of us don't have the courage to confront the unclean spirits that hold people we love prisoners. Unclean spirits like fear. 
Because we know, deep down we know that it's going to be messy. It'll be too ugly to start addressing what's going on in one another's lives, to start addressing the fear that's paralyzing one of our brothers or sisters. We know that it will be extremely disruptive to our sense of community. So we choose pseudo-community. We know that that kind of work of setting people free will be disruptive to the peace that we enjoy as a community. So we choose pseudo-peace. The problem is Jesus didn't invite us into pseudo-community. Jesus didn't offer us pseudo-peace. In fact, that's what I think Jesus is talking about when he says, I didn't come to bring peace. I didn't come to bring pseudo-peace where we ignore the truth of what's going on, what's holding one another prisoner in community. I didn't come to bring that kind of peace. I came to bring a sort of division that turns one brother against another. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about community coming together and choosing to live in the truth no matter how painful, uncomfortable, and disruptive that is. Most of us don't have the stomach for that kind of living in the truth. But we know Jesus promises it's only by living in the truth that we are set free. I think this is one of the many, many reasons why people in our surrounding community, people in Canada, are no longer interested in what the church offers because they've recognized we offer pseudo-community. We offer pseudo-peace. We offer pseudo-transformation. And what people are hungry for, spiritual seekers, are hungry for authentic community that lives in the truth no matter how disruptive it is to our way of life. People are hungry for authentic transformation where we really do experience the spiritual awakening that Jesus is constantly talking about in the gospel narrative. Now, <clears throat> the flip side of that is, is it is tempting for us to engage in the difficult and chaotic and disruptive work of setting people free. But often that comes from a sense of ego. And ego does not set people free from fear. False self cannot cast out fear. Having strong beliefs and convictions cannot cast out fear. Being absolutely convinced that we are right and the other person is wrong cannot cast out fear. Only love casts out fear. Perfect love. Jesus' authority is rooted in divine love. That's the only true spiritual authority is love. Jesus' authority is Divine presence flowing in and through him. God flowing in and through him. And God is love. And when people in this congregation sense the authority of Jesus, they are sensing perfect love. It's only love that can draw out true self. See, Jesus sees this man. He sees his true self. And he loves this man's true self and he draws, he calls 
this man's true self out into manifestation. Only love can do that. So for us to even entertain the notion of becoming a community that calls out the true self in one another, that releases our brothers and sisters from the energetic bonds and, the, and, and the, the strongholds and the unclean spirits that have taken root in our lives, we need to fully abide in Christ. We need to be fully yielded and in harmony with the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of love. <clears throat> There's so much in this passage, but I want to talk about another story as well. In the Gospel of Mark, this is Jesus' first message that he delivers in a synagogue, in a house of worship. This same story happens in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, but before it, Jesus preaches another sermon in a different synagogue, in his hometown of Nazareth. And believe it or not, this earlier message in the synagogue in Nazareth actually evokes an even stronger, more volatile and violent reaction than this one. Let me read it for you. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the congregation were fastened on him. And he began his message by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The first thing that jumps out to me as I reflect on that passage is a question. What is Jesus talking about when he says this passage from Isaiah 61 has been fulfilled in this moment? <clears throat> is Jesus saying that good news has been brought to all poor people? That the blind have recovered their sight? That, that prisoners have been released? The oppressed have been set free? No, that's not what Jesus is saying has been fulfilled. That hasn't happened yet. What Jesus is saying has been fulfilled is the promise of him being anointed with the Holy Spirit to go do a particular mission in the world. What has been fulfilled is the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life and the clarity of divine calling. See, Jesus isn't just anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is anointed with purpose, with specificity. Jesus is anointed with with clarity in what it is God expects him to do. He is expected to go and proclaim good news to the poor, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, to bring freedom to prisoners, to release the oppressed. This is a pivotal moment in our own spiritual journeys. 
When we experience the anointing of the Spirit and the clarity of our divine calling, both as individuals and as a congregation, absolutely pivotal. One of the things that that happens when we receive this anointing of the Holy Spirit is it transforms our mentality from paying attention to what's in it for us. It replaces that with a mentality of focusing on what is flowing through me to others. One of the things that Jesus is inviting this congregation in Nazareth to do is to transition from a self-centered faith to an anointed faith. Self-centered faith is, is focused on how I and my group my family, my people receive the promises and gifts and blessing of God. Anointed faith focuses on how I can become a channel through which other people receive the blessings and promises and gifts of God. This is Jesus' message to the congregation in Nazareth. And it doesn't go well. In fact, if you keep reading the story, I encourage you to go back later on and read the whole chapter, uh, Luke chapter 4, to see how this all unfolds. But at the end of Jesus' message, the congregation is so furious, they are so enraged with what Jesus has said, this new teaching of Jesus, that I can only describe it as an unclean spirit. This mob mentality descends upon them and they drive Jesus out of the synagogue, out of the town of Nazareth. They lead him to a clifftop and attempt to throw him off of it and kill him. If that's not an unclean spirit, I don't know what is. What could Jesus have said that would have set these religious worshiping people into such a frenzy. Well, the basis of this hostile reaction to Jesus' teaching is really rooted in a, in a difference of understanding Scripture. This congregation in Nazareth understood the Scripture as revealing the promises of God for them revealing this exclusive covenant that God has to bless them as the children of God, the children of Israel. Where Jesus unpacks the scripture to them in a new way, expanding the circle of God's inclusivity to include people that they think aren't included, to include people that they think should not be included. And Jesus gets specific I'll read it for you, starting in in verse 25. Here's what Jesus says in his message. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine, shortage of food throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but only to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, an outsider. 
And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman, the Syrian, the outsider. And this is when, well, I'll keep reading. All the people in the synagogue were furious when Jesus said this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus is inviting them to transform their selfish faith to anointed faith. Jesus isn't just bragging, saying, oh, I've been anointed by the Spirit to do this for others. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I've been anointed by the Holy Spirit so that I can receive all the blessings and gifts of God. No, I've been anointed by the Spirit so that I can go out and bless the outsiders, the humbled and the hurt. The people who are perceived as being outside the power and the blessings, what are perceived to be the blessings of God. And Jesus is inviting this congregation to transition from self-centered faith to anointed faith. To stop seeing their faith as, as focused on how our relationship with God blesses us. How being part of a church community benefits me and my group. Rather, to transition to anointed faith where our primary focus is how can I, how can my group be a conduit through which God's blessings and gifts and promises flow to others, especially outsiders. The mission of God always focuses on outsiders. The mission of God is always focusing on including the outsiders and extending God's blessing and promises and gifts to those that are outside the center. And the mission of God is always inviting the insiders, those who enjoy the the, the power and the privilege and what is perceived to be the blessings of being insiders. The mission of God is always inviting us insiders to join the mission of God to include the outsider and extend God's blessings to the outsiders. And what we see throughout Scripture and throughout history is when the insiders refuse to join the mission of God to include the outsiders, to bless the outsiders, then what happens is we are no longer insiders. We may still enjoy the power and privilege and what is perceived to be the blessings of God, but we are no longer insiders in the kingdom of God, Jesus says. It's only when we participate in the mission of God that we are insiders. It's only when we are moving in the Spirit that we are insiders in the kingdom of God. It is only when we see the presence of God in all people and all things that we are true insiders in the kingdom of God. So the challenge for me and the challenge for us is to be honest about my faith. Is it self-centered or is it anointed? I did An example this week, someone shared with me before all of this pandemic crisis had hit us, they had ordered some N95 masks, and they received them. 
The N95 masks, those are what healthcare workers use to, to treat uh, people with coronavirus and to protect themselves as they do God's work. And you better believe that that's God's work. This week, they had this moment of clarity that, do I need these masks? I mean, who really needs these masks? It's the healthcare workers. I'm not working with people who have a virus that could make them seriously ill or even kill them. And yet, the people who need these masks are running out of them. And here I have some. So this person gave his masks to the hospital. To me, I was just struck. Wow, that, that is a transition from a, mal- a mentality of self-centered faith where, hey, what are the blessings and benefits and abundance of God for me? Transitioning to anointed faith where I think, how can I be a conduit of God's blessings and God's gifts and God's abundance flowing to others, to the people who really need them? I was kind of convicted by that. Where is, what areas in my life have I drifted back into self-centered faith? That's the thing. We can receive the anointing of the Spirit and, and, and for a season walk in anointed faith, but it's very easy for us to drift back into self-centered faith. Remember that the anointing of the Spirit comes with the clarity of divine calling. We receive a clarity in divine calling so that we know what it is God expects us to do. And then we receive the anointing of the Spirit so that we are clothed with power from on high. We have the capacity to do what it is God has asked us to do. But here's the thing. We lose the anointing when we neglect the calling. When we stop doing what it is that God has called us to do, we're no longer walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that, that I'm excited about with our faith community is I believe we have received the anointing of the Spirit and we have received a clarity in our divine calling. I mean, last year we spent most of the year discerning our calling and, and we talked about it in a, in a I think it was a three-month three month message series in, in adult Christian education. We talked about this. We discerned this. And last June, we, we agreed that this, this is the calling that God has placed upon us as a faith community for the time and place we find ourselves. Our vision is to help people grow spiritually, to help people grow in relationship with Creator God and to become their true self. That's... That's our calling. Our mission is to make the message and presence of Christ relatable to people in our communities, especially outsiders, especially people who are burnt out on religion. That's our calling. I believe God has clarified our calling as a congregation. And with that clarity of calling, God has anointed us with the Spirit to actually fulfill our calling. But we only walk in that anointing as we do what God has called us to do. Let's do it. Let's do it. And it really begins with us, perhaps each and every day, as individuals, as a group, 
examining. Am I in self-centered faith mentality? Or am I walking in anointed faith? In closing, I invite you to join me in this prayer. It's going to be on the screen after, after the service is completed. The prayer is this, Holy Spirit, thank you for clarifying our call as a congregation. Now help us walk in your anointing.